So generally speaking, I think that the learning experience can become more enjoyable and even potentially transformative when we can adopt a mindset of a descriptive linguist. And so what I mean by that is that we can observe language in use around us and try to distinguish differences rather than insisting only on learning the standard variety. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. We meet Emma Britton, the newest member of the team here at the Cornell University Language Resource Center, and discuss the hegemony of English as well as her experience learning Azerbaijani. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We have a very special guest on the podcast and in our physical studio today. Woohoo! Our new LRC team member. Dr. Emma Britton is the new learning initiatives coordinator here, and we are excited to introduce her to the world. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Emma. And welcome to the LRC. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right. Well, we always start off our episodes uh, by asking our guests about your background and experience with language and with learning language. So uh, we've talked about that a little bit in person since you started working here, but let's share it with our listeners. Sure. So I grew up in the northeastern U.S. in a small town in southern Maine. In my hometown, learning world languages was not really emphasized Mm -hmm. as there was not a lot of linguistic diversity compared to other places I've lived. Um, Yet ever since my teenage years, it seems that I've always been dabbling in learning languages. And it's often for romantic reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, my first year of college, I learned the Hebrew language as I had an Israeli boyfriend at the time. And then years later, when I started my professional career in language education, I was working in Worcester, Massachusetts. And that's a city with a high proportion of Spanish speakers. Mm-hmm. And so as I was working in the nonprofit sector... I found myself needing to use Spanish on a daily basis to speak with our clients. Yeah. Yeah. And so our clients didn't know much English, so I would learn Spanish mostly by engaging in language exchanges with a few of Mm. our students. Mm -hmm. So we'd split our time in half. We'd do an hour of English practice and an hour of Spanish Mm -hmm, practice. mm -hmm. And so through these exchanges, I developed some wonderful friendships with my students that I continue today. Um, And so when I was working in the field of language education, I eventually decided that it was time to go back to graduate school again. (laughs) Um, And so I had gained a lot of practical experience with language teaching and learning, but I wanted to strengthen my theoretical knowledge Mm -hmm. of the principles of second language acquisition and to engage in in research in SLA, second language acquisition research. And so I moved out to Amherst, Massachusetts for PhD studies Mm -hmm. in applied linguistics. And as a doctoral student, I found myself often struggling with English, my first language, um, (laughs) as I was just learning all these new academic registers of the language. 
And and also, you know, doctoral work can often be so solitary. Mm -hmm. So I had less opportunities to speak Spanish uh, while I was in that academic environment. And so I focused more on learning Azerbaijani, which is my husband's first language. Mm -hmm. So today I continue to learn Azerbaijani as a second language. And because I've been with my husband for a decade, <laughs> I feel more like a heritage learner mm. in some ways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've had quite a bit of exposure to the language when visiting and talking with my in-laws, but I still have a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a lifelong well, process. It certainly <laughs> is, yeah. Uh, and so in addition to being a lifelong language learner, the last seven years of doctoral studies have led me to assume a new identity as an emerging scholar in applied linguistics. Huh. So in, in much of my research, I have used self-study methods, so um, teacher research, mm -hmm. to explore my own teaching experiences. And my research has focused on the pedagogical applications of critical linguistic theories, sociocultural theories, and multimodal learning theories. Mm. Um, I've been especially interested in exploring the nature of critical language awareness pedagogies in second language learning environments. And so this is an approach that seeks to elevate learners' understandings of the relationships between languages, language varieties, language ideologies, and social inequities. Mm. Wow. You certainly bring a lot to our team, and we're super excited to have you here. So what got you excited about working at the LRC? Yeah. So in, in much of my work, I have advocated for disrupting the global hegemony of the English language mm. within higher education. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about English language instruction, um, critical language awareness can do this as it helps teachers and their students to build recognition of the ways that dominant language ideologies and language varieties are legitimate and rule-governed, mm -hmm. just like prestige and standard varieties are. So through my work and my role at the Language Resource Center, I am excited to think in new ways about critical innovations to language education. So I really welcome the opportunity to think outside of English as a Second Language instruction. Mm -hmm. um, that's where much of my scholarly work has been located so far. Uh, but I'm really excited to work in a unit on the Cornell campus that promotes world language learning and instructional innovations. So I believe that our unit has great potential to disrupt English hegemony with, with strategies that are novel and lesser known in higher education. So the languages across the curriculum courses, mm -hmm. those emphasize learning field-specific academic registers of the target yeah. language. And, and I'm just so excited to be a part of that. Yeah. Wonderful. Angelica, I think the uh, the magic word I know. for I know. our, our I know. season is I know. hegemony. <laughs> I love it. We talked I about that, that with, with Corrine, and we, we had a discussion about how to pronounce it. Is it hegemony? Hegemony? But I, I, it's, what's the adjective? Hegemonic. There you go. That I think we agree on. Yes. But Merriam-Webster has two very different pronunciation options for the noun. Oh. Yeah, that made me chuckle too when you said it. Like, I yes. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Emma, what are you most looking forward to in your new role? Yeah, so it's hard to pick just one thing. Um, <laughs> I've really been enjoying myself so far, learning about my role and getting to know all the staff and meeting some of our campus partners. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to continue meeting everybody, uh, all the teachers, the students, our community partners and our institutional partners in the weeks to come. Yeah. If I had to pick one thing that I'm looking forward to, I think it would be learning more about the student perspective as a language learner. So I'm curious to know what drives our students to take field-specific courses Mm -hmm. in another language and also to attend the Lictal courses, so the less commonly taught languages. Um, I want to know more about what students' learning experience is like in a distance education model and to find out about the language attitudes that our students bring to the classroom. So what are your more immediate but also your long-term plans for working here? Yeah, so I'm very much still learning the ropes here. Of course, yes. <laughs> and I have really big shoes to fill. Um, I, I just can understand how dedicated my predecessor, Lisa, was mm-hmm. to the Language Resource Center. So I think it's going to take me some time to feel comfortable with all the day-to-day duties. Sure. um, Coordinating the shared course initiative, the languages across the curriculum, and the conversation hours. In maybe the near future, I'd really like to start up some conversation hours in Azerbaijani. Yeah, there we go. I like (laughs) it. So listeners, if you're an Azerbaijani speaker, please do get in touch with me. Um, And beyond that, I can only imagine that I'll gravitate towards the sort of projects that I've done in the past. So I especially like writing for publication. I like partnering with teachers in curriculum development Mm -hmm. and outreach, um, engaging in field research, or even teaching sociolinguistics. Mm -hmm. And Emma, for what it's worth, I've been here for almost four years, and I'm still learning things, so... (laughs) (laughs) You got time. It'll take a long time, yeah. <laughs> I've been here five years. I think I, I've got it all under uh, control. Oh, there we right. go, That's Sam. Of course, of course. I know it all. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Thinking about studying languages and Lictals, what suggestions or tips do you have for language learners? So, as I mentioned, I've been learning Azerbaijani for a while, And so that is a less commonly taught language or almost never Mm -hmm. taught language, Mm -hmm. at least in this country. Um, It's primarily spoken in two different countries, so Azerbaijan and Iran. And so while my Azerbaijani teacher is from southern Azerbaijan, the country, my in-laws are from northern Iran. Mm. And even though my teacher and my family are not far apart geographically, There are political boundaries between the two countries, and these have existed since the 1800s. And so these boundaries have led to language differences. So as a learner, it's been helpful for me to keep an open mind about different varieties Mm. of Azerbaijani. So generally speaking, I think that the learning experience can become more enjoyable and even potentially transformative when we can adopt a mindset of a descriptive linguist. And so what I mean by that is that we can observe language in use around us 
and try to distinguish differences rather than insisting only on learning the standard variety. And so in my own case with Azerbaijani, there's a great degree of mutual intelligibility between the northern and southern varieties, um, but there are also many differences in phonology, lexicon, and sources of loan words. So just to elaborate a little bit, um, in terms of phonology, one example is the word healthy. In the southern variety, you'd say salam, versus in the northern variety, you'd say salam. Um, huh. Yeah. And so in terms of lexicon, the word excellent is different. So in the southern variety, it's chokesha. And in the uh, northern variety, it's ela. And in terms of loan words, the southern variety, where my family is from, they borrow a lot of words from Farsi, which mm. is the national language in Iran. And Azerbaijan, the country, borrows many words from Russian. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So the southern variety, the world, the word for breakfast is supane, and that's a Farsi word. But the northern variety doesn't have a single word for breakfast, so they uh -oh. use two words. <laughs> um, they call it seher yemayi, which is morning food. Huh. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Well, Emma, we are very excited about all the things that you have planned, and uh, maybe you will start teaching us Azerbaijani, too. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't think I'm at that level yet. <laughs> well, I think the level where we are, you certainly um, can teach the us basics. something. Yeah, yes, I can do the very, the very basics. <laughs> So before we sign off, we would like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, you love, you are learning, you want to learn, that makes you laugh. Please share that word of yours with our listeners. So Azerbaijani is an agglutinative language. So that means that grammatical relations are indicated by adding suffixes to stem words. Mm. So you can make some really long tongue-twisting sort of words. Mm -hmm. So here's a fun one. It's actually two words, but you can't really make sense of it unless you use both. Okay. So it's Bugarpus Sanjalandaran Lardanimish. So wow. it, yeah. So that's that's two words. And it means this watermelon turns out to be the type that makes your tummy ache. <laughs> <laughs> that's wonderful. That's a that's great. Is it though? I mean, it's not if it makes your tummy ache. No, the result isn't great, but the, but the fact yeah. that there's a there's a, a a word for it or short phrase for yeah. it, I think that's yeah. that's magnificent. So this so the single word is <laughs> Sanjalandran Lardanamish, and my teacher claims there's a way to make it even longer, but she has to think about it some more, <laughs> so she'll get back to me. <laughs> This will this will break the hashtag for Twitter. I, I was gonna say. Well, also, I was going to wonder if we should also make agglutinative a hashtag. Do you think in the history of Twitter, agglutinative is yeah yes, yeah because yes. okay well, yes. I mean, if only there was a search engine where we could check this. F for sure, yeah. uh, maybe there is. <laughs> I guess you could just search the hashtag on Twitter, and that would answer uh, right. But I, mean, I hopefully there's never been a hashtag that is the word that. Emma just said, which I can't reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. 
Thanks so much. We're, we're so glad you're here, Emma, and thank you for speaking of language with us today. It was my pleasure. Bayeran. Next week, we will speak with our colleagues from ITAP, Cornell's International Teaching Assistant Program. Until then, auf Wiederhören. The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.